0: All right, so we're in the Book of Romans, and we're going to be in Lesson 29 tonight, and this is the beginning of Chapter 5, and so um, this section, Romans Chapter 5 through Romans Chapter 8, is uh, some of the most uh, deep doctrinal material that the Apostle Paul writes, and uh, by deep he can get deep and so there's some of the passages especially uh, toward the second half of uh, chapter five that it, it just you just read it kind of in a paragraph and read it in another translation in a paragraph and then kind of move on and so Uh, It it does get a little bit confusing because he keeps going back over and saying kind of the same thing, only a different way, Um, because he's trying to get these people to understand what God did through Jesus Christ, and that's what this chapter begins to introduce. We've been talking about justification or being made righteous or brought into a right standing with God. And that it can only come to us by faith. And so we've been taking that, and Paul has been arguing that, uh, in a sense, to his opponents um, that might be in the church, people that don't understand, people that have their own understanding that Paul needs to bring into a more perfect understanding. And uh, so they've been learning... Uh, as Paul has been opening the scripture, that righteousness can only come as a matter of what? Faith. Yeah. Only through faith. Your works won't do it. The law won't do it. You can't be good enough. Um, you can't deny wrong and get it. And then, of course, last session, uh, the great uh, illustration that he brings out concerning Abraham. And in that, he teaches a perfect lesson for us on principles of faith and believing God um, in the midst of circumstances that deny what you're believing. Um, But his, his real application is about our salvation. And just because you don't feel saved doesn't mean that you aren't. And just because the full manifestation of what salvation means is not necessarily visible in your life, doesn't mean that you're not saved. Um, I know that uh, Jan and I, since got brought into uh, the faith through a church of Christ, I'll go ahead and say that. And um, we learned some things, then we stopped going to the church of Christ and started looking at something else. And uh, we were brought to a Baptist church. And uh, in the Baptist church, there was, there was a lot of freedom. There was a lot of good teaching. And um, the, uh, the music was really good, because I was leading it. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, they don't have praise and worship. They have a song service. So it's called a song service. So, um, but one of the things that, that Jan battled, and it became a real struggle for her, and was, am I really saved? Because, well, people would tell their testimony, and people would talk about this, and God doing this in them, and they had this experience, and they had that experience, Uh, But we're not experience-driven, that's what they'd say. But again, you know, but you might not be saved. Even if you came up to the front and prayed the prayer, you might not have gotten saved. And so Jan really wrestled with that for, I don't know, a couple years. Until we got filled with the Spirit. And once... The spirit of god was alive and her attention was given more to the help of the holy spirit in her life um, that went away and that's got to be some of the issue that paul is dealing with with this church in rome people that have professed but am i really saved well You can't just look at the circumstances and determine your salvation. Just because bad words stop coming out of your mouth, right? No corrupt communication, all right, so I'm speaking there. Just because you stopped dressing a certain way or um, cutting your hair or not cutting your hair... um, Eating or drinking certain foods, keeping, not keeping certain festival days. Paul's going to get into all of that when we get back to chapters 12, 13, and 14 uh, because those things continue to harass. But our salvation isn't based on outward evidence, it's based on faith, the inner reality. I believed. I can't do anything more than that. If you believe, that's what Philip said to the Ethiopian, if you believe, but well, believe. The transition takes place. Abraham believed God, and God wrote it down as righteousness. Now, you could go back and look at some of the things in Abraham's life and say, well, it's not acting very safe. I mean, to try to sell your wife. Um, I don't know how he lived through that personally, but, you know, that's. And then and then do it twice, you know. So, but God wrote it down as righteousness, not because of the things that he did, but because of what he believed. So, based on that, which we've gone over and over in chapters 2, 3, and 4, we come to chapter 5. So let's read chapter 5. I'm going to just read the first five verses. And he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit... Who has been given to us? So this section uh, is how Paul wants to begin his discussion of what we would call the doctrinal principles of salvation, and he's going to bring up within this this teaching uh, a number of things that are important, and some of them he just writes them in a statement and moves on. You can go to other places in Paul's writings, other letters that Paul wrote, and get further explanation on some of these and further insight. But as he's going down through here, he just wants to present this truth, that our salvation is based on one thing and one thing alone, faith. Faith in God. Faith in what he promised faith in what he said he would do not what we said we would do now do I need to change my life after I get saved certainly do I need to learn and understand more and more about the things of God yes do I need to witness and and be a living example in this earth of following the Lord yes I do but those don't make me saved. One thing makes me saved. Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And so this faith then produces these things that he's going to be talking about as he goes down through here. In order for God to judiciously deal with, I don't want to say legally, because God doesn't do it legally, but judiciously. He does it in a balanced manner, in in what is right. That's how he deals with our issues, and he, he does this in a judicious manner. It's He's got to do something with our sin. God can't just say, okay, forget it. He, you sin? Yeah. Forget it. It's it's done. God had to deal, do something with it. It had to be um, properly settled. And the only way for God to properly settle our sin was to put his son on a cross. To die for us. God couldn't just forget it. But not only that, after he has done that, then he also wants to restore us into a right relationship. Once he's dealt with the sin, then he can begin to bring us into that right relationship with him, out of which we will have, my title for this lesson, peace with God. So, as we look down through this this section, in chapter 5... I got a little box down there with, um, I think there's 28, I think, I don't know, different words. These 28 different words, I think there's 28, all occur in this chapter, just in chapter 5. These are things of doctrinal implications some of them extremely deep theologically and they're all written right in this passage so I'm just going to read down through these they're not in in anything but an a order of how they occur through the chapter all right so justification or righteousness faith peace to obtain access Grace, hope, glory, love, the ungodly, died or death, sin or sinners, saved, wrath of God, enemies, reconciled or reconciliation, reign or reigned, trespass, a type. Free gift, abounded, judgment or condemnation, disobedience or obedience, were made, came in or was added, increase, life, and eternal. All of these are in this chapter, and they all have implication to what it is that God has done so that we can be in right relationship with him, or the result of us being in right relationship, these are our, our status or our situation. So, as we look down through here, there are some very important words for the believer. And these are things that, that, as I say, we'll study as we come to them throughout this chapter. But how did God save us? It's one thing for us to say by faith you're saved or the just shall live by faith or Abraham believed God and God wrote it down as righteousness. But how do you do that? What about what about natural sin? What about you know the fact that we are a fallen race? What about the fact that we are enemies of God? What about the fact that God has, in a sense, shut us out, and now all of a sudden we're brought into right way? How, how did God do that? Did He just eh, mark it off, forget it? No, it was dealt with, and it was dealt with in a righteous or judicious manner, which is what we will see as Paul presents through this chapter. It's not necessary to know all these things to be saved. But the more you know, the more stable you are. The more confident that you are. The more you learn these principles, the less the enemy has to try to rob you of all that you have in Jesus Christ. So the very first word in our section here tonight, the first word in chapter 5 is what? Therefore. In almost every translation, it occurs. Therefore. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Paul didn't just start out with the words, since we have been justified by faith. He didn't start out with, we have been justified by faith. Therefore, since. Or in light of, and therefore, meaning on the basis and the foundation of everything we've been talking about for four chapters, on the basis of all of that, here's this. And so he begins to give us uh, a, a list of these things. Therefore, in a sense, means in regard to all that has been presented. So it's not just about Abraham believing God and being made righteous. It's not just about you believing God and being made righteous. You are. God did that. But what does it mean? How did it happen? And if you tell somebody that if you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, you confess that with your mouth, You'll be saved. You can tell someone that and then they're gonna say, Well, how does that happen? Um, well, I don't know. Well, what about the fact that I am a sinner? What what did God do about my sin? What about this and what about that? So we gotta we gotta see it. We could say, therefore, means as a result of God justifying and our faith. So It's not just one thing. It's not just that God justified. It's also our faith. But it's not just our faith. It's God justifying. So there's two things, your faith and God justifying. And so those two things have to be involved. It's not just God doing it. And again, we talk to, in a sense, to those who have this opinion that God chooses who's to be saved. God chooses those uh, who will be saved and accepts them, and he doesn't accept those he doesn't choose, which we will deal with in chapters 9, 10, and 11. But we're not there yet. It's two things. It's not just God justifying. Did Jesus die for the whole world? Everybody says what? Yes. Yes. But are they all saved? No. No. What's the problem? (laughs) Their faith. Their faith. That's the point. Their faith. So there has to be that part. So in this... In this manner, Paul says, therefore. Therefore, based on all of this stuff I've been talking about, based on the fact that you can't save yourself, based on the fact that you you can't be so bad that God can't save you, based on the fact that you can't keep the law, you can't be good enough to keep all of the law, here's what's going to happen. So, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11... We're going to find what I I, I call eight spiritual truths. So there's eight things. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not subcategories, because as we come to each one of these, we'll see some subcategories in each one of these. But there's, there's eight things here, starting on page two, that fit into what happens either in order for you to be justified or since you have been justified. Because God did some things so that you could be justified, and he did other things because you are. So, the things that we're going to be looking at, we're going to start tonight with this first one. Peace with God. Peace with God. The Bible tells us that the unsaved person is at enmity with God. The word enmity is beyond the word enemy it means in a in a not just potentially hostile but openly hostile relationship and it is set so to be at enmity with someone meaning i'm not budging and they're not either and so we would say they're at odds with one another but it's a stronger word than just being at odds so before you got saved you were what at enmity with God and that's what the scripture tells us Romans chapter 5 verse 10 Romans chapter 8 verse 7 that we are were at enmity with God and those who are not saved are what at enmity with God did Jesus die for them Has their sins been paid for? But they're not saved. They're still at enmity. They're in a hostile relationship to God. They're at enmity of God because they cannot obey God's law. And they cannot fulfill God's will. You can't do the law and you can't follow His will. Well, you can do it a little bit. No, keeping the law won't get you saved. So even if you could keep the law, it would not get you saved. So these two things stand in opposition. Listen to these two. This is from the book of Isaiah. And I got this from one of my commentaries, and I thought, wow, that's really good. So two verses from Isaiah that show this exactly. The first is in Isaiah 48, verse 22. Isaiah 48, verse 22, and it says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. So there is no peace for them to the wicked. Well, people join hands and sing the Coca-Cola song, you know, so we have peace. You know, we sing Kumbaya or something like that, you know. and We shake hands and have a treaty and we're at peace. We hope that members of our Congress and our presidents and others, you know, somehow are at peace. I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. Right? So that's one side. But listen to the other side. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Isaiah 32, verse 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. So, there's no peace for the wicked, but the work of righteousness, once that right standing has been brought to us, what is the result of it? Peace. So, you've got no peace, and peace. So this is the work of what God wants to do. More on that later. Truth number two. Uh, chapter 2 verse uh, chapter 5 sorry verse 2 and we have what access to all of God's grace so it tells us chapter 5 and verse 2 says and through him that is through Jesus Christ we have also obtained access there's so much in those words I can't stop We have obtained access, how? How? By faith. Into this grace in which we stand. Now, this isn't the grace of salvation. This is the grace that results from salvation. And when we get to this section, I've I've got a list of different things that the New Testament tells us that grace does in our life. But we've been brought into a Uh, for lack of another word, a dimension of grace. We've entered into a a kingdom of grace because the word grant access has to do with uh, someone coming out from the throne room, taking you by hand and bringing you in to meet the king. It's like you've been given a personal invitation into the throne room. You know, we just went through the coronation thing. You know, can you... Imagine what that would be, you know, for someone to come out and say, um, "Hey, the, the king wants to see you, you know, and take you by hand and lead you in. You say, well, I'm not really a big fan of his, but he's still the king, and you would go. Yeah, you would. So put that back into Paul's day, when these, some of these emperors were absolutely horrible. And if you didn't have proper access, <laughs> you wouldn't dare enter the throne except you might lose your life. So someone comes out and says, "You come in." That's what that's what great Jesus Christ has done for us through him. We have all obtained access into this kingdom of grace in which we stand. Okay, that's a later lesson. Moving on. In the second half of that verse, chapter 5, verse 2, the second half says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, not only have we obtained access into grace, but there is a hope in the glory of God. So, we have received a dimension of God's glory in our life, but we have not come close to the glory which shall be revealed hereafter. Right? Paul says, chapter 8, he says, The sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed So there is a coming glory. Thank God for this glorious relationship we have. But there is so much more, and that is a hope of the glory which is to come. And I feel sad, really do, that there are so many believers who are never taught about heaven, who are never taught about the coming kingdom. About what God is going to do. About how he's going to bring an end to everything. It's not going to just fall apart. The apocalypse does not mean the time of destruction. The Greek word apocalypse means when God pulls back the veil. When God is revealed... Not when he comes to destroy. Is there destruction in there? Yes, there's seven years of the worst destruction that you can even imagine. But not for us. Thank you, Bill. You're Teaching my lesson back there. Right. But um, it's not going to be for us. We're not, we're not going to face all of that. We have a hope in the glory which is to come. So, that's coming. You're fine. I'm just having fun with you. Okay. So, what does it say? This this glorious hope. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. That applies to our past. We have been brought to a place of peace with God. We were what enemies, hostile. Now we're at peace. So that refers to our past. We have access to to God's gracious provisions. We have access. That's our present. Oh, but listen to this. We have hope for the glory to come. That's our future. So God, in this great work of salvation, of bringing us into right relationship, of justification... God has dealt with our past, our present, and our future. And it's all good. Amen. All right. Chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. First part of verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I don't know. I hear an awful lot of people moaning and groaning, but. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. The Greek word suffering means tribulation or pressure. The pressure in which we face. Why? Because, listen, because pressure produces endurance. That's why you go to the gym. I didn't say I go to the gym. (laughs) I said you go to the gym. All right? Pressure, weight... Pushed off generates endurance. If you just let the weight lay there, you get nothing. Or you can try to scurry out from underneath it and not gain anything. But if you push it off, you produce endurance. And endurance produces character. Character, the Greek word, approval. God grants us approval. Or we could say testimony. So endurance produces testimony. And testimony produces hope. That's our next point. But let's stop with this proven character. Justification is not an escape from the trials of life. Just because you're justified doesn't mean you're facing pressure opposite direction just because you're facing pressure doesn't mean you haven't been justified Abraham was righteous but he had an awful lot of suffering, tribulation pressure this child thing circumstances here, circumstances there right, and so don't look at the outward to judge whether you've received the justification. You're justified. So, he says, in this world you shall have, what? Tribulation. Tribulation. Why, Jesus, why did you have to say that? I mean, could, could we just gone without you saying that? No, he wanted us to know that he knows. Now, it's not that God brings all these kind of things, but you see, if, if there's, what, a, a pool of alligators between me and that back door, and if I want that back door, yeah, I'm going out this way. You're right. Grace has got that all scoped out. But if I'm going to go out that back door, I've got to go through the alligators. I don't want to go through the alligators, but I want to go out the back door. So, God doesn't bring the pressure. He just says, there's where I want you to go. What are you going to do to get there? Right? It's like I talk about the wilderness was geographical. Look at any map between Egypt and the promised land is a what? Wilderness. It's just geographical. You want to go from here to there? You got to go through this. Now, you don't have to spend 40 years there. So, that's. So, also in our suffering, you don't get into it and moan and groan and complain. Trust God. Believe God for wisdom. You don't have it, ask Him. You don't know what to do about your situation? Seek God. And He will bring you through. Right? And so this is the promise. The believer has to push these things through. Trials produce. Trial produces. Just like exercise produces. I don't know why I have to talk about that. I I need another example. (laughs) A hot oven produces a cake. <laughs> All right. Got it. I'm good there. All right. Instead, trials or or a hot grill produces great great food. All right. Instead, trials should bring us closer to the Lord and make us more like him. Because as we're going through, we trust in him. Yea, though I walk, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, yea, though I camp in the valley of the shadow of death. As one man said, pardon the phrasing, when you're going through hell, don't stop. right? So, so he says that we need to push through these things. Endurance under pressure builds character or proven testimony, experience. And, the sequence that's taught here, and we'll spend a lesson talking about this, is tribulation or pressure, patience or endurance, proven character, and hope. So what's this hope? That's our next point. Chapter 5 and verse 4 says, not only do we gain endurance and character, but it says we also gain what? Hope character generates hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts talk about that in a minute and so this character produces what? hope 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 for what? hope to take on something bigger if I've conquered this if I've been through that I can go through this If I I have the proven character that I conquered that through the help of the Lord, through faith, through endurance, standing under the pressure, not just asking Jesus to take the problem away, because I gain nothing if he takes the problem away. But to go through it, I gain character, and my character then says, you know what, there's another mountain over there. And I can do that one. Maybe not today. Maybe I need to build up a little strength and endurance, and I'm going to take on that bigger mountain. So this hope, hope for something greater. And this isn't just the hope of heaven, which is where so many of the commentaries that I looked into, they only talked about the hope of glory. Well, he talks about that, but there's also hope in this life. That if I've faced this, I can face that. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm not going to read um, all the first seven or eight verses here. Chapter one, Second 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Change the word comfort. Every place it occurs in in your translation, change it to the word encouragement. Or the verb encourage. All right? Comfort. Because that's better translation for the Greek word. To encourage or encouragement. And so who encourages us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to encourage those who are in any affliction with the same encouragement with with which we ourselves are encouraged by God. There's a whole lot of encouragement in there. Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in encouragement too. If we are afflicted, it's for your encouragement and salvation. And if we encouraged, it's for your encouragement, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our encouragement. And that, that's, that really is a beautiful section there that talks about the reality. You go through something, and you can not only help others, but you can have hope to endure something greater for yourself. But listen to Paul, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced. The word affliction is pressure. The pressure we experienced in Asia. That is what we know of as Turkey or probably the city of Ephesus. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so paul faced the time when he said all right we're gonna die here that's that's what i see ahead of us is death but (laughs) but but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on god who does what who raises raises it so if if we die in order to accomplish this mission god's going to raise us from the dead how's that and he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will. He did and what? And he will. He did and he will. Character produces hope. And hope makes us not ashamed. We don't turn our face. Paul says this was a real thing. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What does he say at the end of verse 10? On him we have set our hope that he will, what? Deliver us again. Not just that one time, but he's going to do it again. We face pressure, he's going to bring us through. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I faced the lion. I was thrown into the arena. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Some people think that's figurative, making, talking about Caesar, but they used real lions in the arena, and, uh, and it might have been that it was a real lion. And he says, you know what, and he'll deliver me again. And if not there, into his kingdom. And I'm okay with that. So, so this, this hope is to endure something greater. Look at uh, the bottom of your page, too. God's love. When, when we face this, now, the way that we use this verse is not necessarily the way that God has intended it in the context, and we'll talk about that as we come to it. We talk about, well, God's love has been shed abroad in our heart, and because his love's been shed abroad, then I can love you and all forth. But it's not really about your love for other people. It's about God's love for you. And the fact that he brings you through is a demonstration of his love for you. And his love has been shed abroad in our heart. It is literally overflowing our innermost being. God's love is overwhelming. God loved me so much, not only did he save me, but he brings me through trial and pressure and then gives me a testimony on the other side that I can do something with and a hope to take on something greater. It's God's love, and it's all of mine because God loved me, and God loves you. And so this this God's love shed abroad in our hearts. Um, The the, the literal of this you can see written there in your note um, is God's love is poured out into our hearts. It's it's like your heart has just been filled up with God's love. So already in these in these verses we've got love and joy and peace. How about that? That's that's pretty good. Before we were saved before we were saved, I got this for one of my commentaries. Sorry. Before we were saved, listen, God proved his love by sending Christ to die for us. Right? Did that prove his love? Listen to this. Now that we are his children, surely his love will be even more of a reality. I mean, if he loved us so much when we were sinners, what do you think he thinks of you now? You're his child. You're his very own. Wow. Top of your next page. Number seven. Salvation from future wrath. Oh, this is a good one. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. So when we look at this, this section, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, being saved from the wrath of God, what does he say? Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. I mean, glad of that. See, against, they were back there again. We could put therefore, since we have been saved. Not only justified... We've been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from, what? The wrath wrath of God. He saved us as sinners. Now he is going to save us from his wrath. And there's plenty of scripture we'll talk about as we go through this. But no true believer will face the wrath of God. We may face the wrath of men. Believers on this earth have at times faced the wrath of people, the wrath of governments. And we may. I don't know. Persecution is a real thing, and it's very real to certain people within the world right now. But you know what? They may face the wrath of man, but they'll never face the wrath of God. No believer will ever face the wrath of God. There's a number of verses there. First Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. And also First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. So you can read those verses. So we've been saved by his life. We've been raised again because of justification. Saved because he bore our sin. And we've been raised because god counted us justified and so this justification means that god has saved us we're eternally saved and this is because god will not subject us to wrath he will pour out his wrath on this earth but we will not be here And there's a lot of people, they look at certain things, they're looking at things, you hear prophecies, people talking about, well, this is this sign and this is that. No, those signs are all in the tribulation and we ain't there. Sorry, I know that's not good proper English, but we ain't in the tribulation, right? We're not there. And because we're not there, we will not face those things. The final thing in our eight principles here is reconciliation with God we have been reconciled with God remember that thing we talked about enmity permanently set in a position of hostility right against God against those things reconciliation has to do with God removing what was between us God removing what was there. Not only does he deal with, with his wrath against your sin and your brokenness to not be able to live for him, God deals with both of those, but then he also removes that barrier that was in between. It means to brought back into fellowship. Brought back into a place of communion or right standing with God all right. to be reconciled and to be made righteous are kind of cousins because in order to be in a right standing you had to be reconciled and if you're going to be reconciled then you're going to be brought into a place of right standing and so we will see how these things work uh, together in Romans chapter 1 that very dark section that we looked at Verses 18 through 32. And all of the thing, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Right? Remember that? And all of that darkness that goes down through there. Paul explained that mankind had declared war on God. You don't believe that? Read the newspaper. Listen to the news. Mankind has declared war on God. But God has not declared war on us. Instead, he sent his son to die for us. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be wrath to come. That day's coming. But right now, this is the day of grace. This is the day of salvation. Behold, today is the day of salvation. This is it. It's where we live. And we're living under a time when God has removed that enmity so that man can come. But they have to come by one thing. What's that one thing? Faith. You've got to come by faith. That they might be reconciled to God. But you can't be reconciled to God if you will not accept what he has done to remove that enmity barrier that was between you. Let's see if I can finish up with this this one section. To have peace with God. Let's go back to chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace. Now I made all caps with this word with. Peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of this I'm going to reserve for Next week, but let me talk about this phrase peace with God. That through the work of Jesus Christ, that through Him, we might have peace with God. And this peace with God is not the same thing as the peace of God. Now, the peace of God is when you are flooded with an overwhelming sense of security of the fact that no matter what trouble comes you're okay it's 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 not that trouble is not there that's not what peace is peace with God is in the midst of all kinds of trials and pressures what you say? Peace the peace of God and so the peace of God is that calmness that you have in the midst of a storm jesus on the sea the storm raging on either side jesus was asleep why because he had the peace of god and so the peace of god who did not have the peace of god yeah yeah the 12 and so they did not have the peace of god and so they were troubled on every side because they were looking at the circumstances How does Paul tell us that we can have the peace of God? Philippians chapter 4. Be not anxious. But what? But in everything. Through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Give. Right? Make your requests to God. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Instead of being anxious... Pray and the peace of God will overwhelm you, right? Will overshadow you, will overcome, overtake you. And so this peace is there, and it's a peace that it passes human understanding, which means I don't have to understand it to be at peace. I don't have to know why, I don't have to know when, I don't have to know. What the source is, all I have to do is believe, right, and pray. Pour out my heart. And so this peace of God is one thing. But peace with God is something else. Now, we all, the old cowboy movies, I was the first thing I thought of when I saw this, Judy, you're already there. Some guys, you know, he's going to put somebody down, he says, you better make your peace with God right before he shoots him you know so you better make your peace with God and so that's exactly what it is you you better do something but here's the point you can't make peace with God You you can't you don't have the right you don't have the accountability you don't have the access you don't have the Power to make peace with God what are you going to say God you're going to do it my way let's, let's meet here at the table and we'll discuss you know, what we're going to do you know, you know, God says I'm not meeting any table there's one table my son died on a cross his blood is available sit down at the table take a drink Because his blood has been shed for you. If you want peace with me, you've got to go through my son. Because without going through the son, there is no peace with God. And can I go one step further? If there's no peace with God, you can never have the peace of God. Oh, you can try to calm situations and you can do everything you can to keep all the the enemy's down, you know, I, I think of that stupid kind of kid's game at, what, these amusement parks, you know, whack a, whack-a-mole. You know, and it's just like I'm trying to get all the moles down, right, but I hit this one and another one pops up over there or two or whatever, and I'm whacking moles and I can't get anything because I, I can't make peace with God. I don't have peace with God, and there's no way I will have the peace of God in my life because something is going to come up behind me, beside me, above me. We're sitting, yeah. We're sitting in. Uh, yeah, there's always something. We're sitting in the living room the other day, and Jen says, "Oh, that's how the spiders are coming in, down from the ceiling." A little spider descending down, yeah. And then, then a couple days earlier, I read a thing about. The southeast of the United States. Have you heard about the Jojo spiders? How many of you have a real problem with, with spiders? Real kind of fear of spiders. All right. They got these, these spiders that they've come in from southeast Asia. And they are the size of your hand. They're about eight inches across. With legs, right? And their body is about the size of your index finger. Now, they're not harmful. Okay, Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. I walk into a web, and that thing's crawling on my. You, you want to tell me that that's not harmful? I'm sorry, I'm with Jesus. right? I'm already gone. And I don't mean he's with me. I mean, I'm with him. I'm out of here. Thank you, Sarah, for uh, bringing up a picture of that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't need that. I was pretty much at peace. With a little spider crawling down, you know, the corner of the house or coming down. Not one of those. No, no, I'm sorry. Because you can't, you can't make the peace of God. There's nothing you can do. That's why Paul says stop being anxious because whatever you're trying to do is not going to do it. You need God to step in, and the only way for you to get God to step in is to do what? Pray. Turn it over to Him. Tell Him all of your issues. Pour out your heart before God. And also make sure you offer thanksgiving. So that you are thanking Him for what He's done in the past, and He's going to do it. There's no way you can do this, but He can. But if I don't have peace with God, I'll never find that peace of God. So, that's where we're going to end tonight. Peace with God. Peace with God. And there's only one way to have that. That's through the blood of the cross. And because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, poured out His life for us, by faith we receive and we are brought into a right standing right relationship with God which includes peace we'll talk more about that in our next session Father we thank you for your word tonight